This is a HeadGum Podcast. Good One is presented by The Other Two, premiering on Comedy Central on January 24th. Hello, welcome to Good One Season 5, The Fighting Fifth. I'm your host, Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. This is the podcast in which comedians, comedy writers, etc. come on to play and discuss one of their jokes. Our guest for the season premiere is Nicole Byer, who you may know as the host of Netflix's Nailed It and her podcast, Why Don't You Date Me? This is also a crossover episode of sorts for us, as Nicole's actually the co-host of Vulture's RuPaul's Drag Race podcast, What the Tuck, which you should definitely listen to because it is truly the most fun in the world. Speaking of the most fun in the world, this episode... Though she started improv, Nicole has grown to a confident, defined stand-up comedian in her own right. Nicole talks about what she wants to talk about and demands you pay attention and laugh. As we discussed in the interview, Nicole considered dedicating her entire new half-hour special, Aggressively Adorable, which premiered on Netflix earlier this month as part of the Comedians of the World series, to being fat. Her team talked her out of it, so she settled on essentially dedicating the first 15 minutes to the topic. But the impact is still made. I can't think of a comedian who has approached the topic so unflinchingly. She literally couldn't even think of what a self-deprecating joke could be when I asked. For this episode, we focus on how she opens the special, an act out that is easily one of the funniest I've ever seen. I encourage you to watch the half hour yourself, but while you're listening, just know when the part comes, and you'll know the part, her fist is on her side, a la I'm a little teapot. You'll see what I mean. So, here is Nicole Byer. jokes and there's always someone in the audience who's like Nicole you're not fat girl no you're beautiful bitch I know look at this thank you also being fat and being beautiful are not mutually exclusive they aren't, thank you, yes. You could be fat and beautiful or thin and look like Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> Sometimes people go, oh, I'm like, look at her again. <laughs> so I'll just say it for you guys. I'm a fat lady and I just want you guys to know that I know that you know. And there's always someone who feels bad for me who's like, oh no. She knows! Yeah, I know, and I'm okay with it. I'm a happy fat lady. Truly, I will steal your dinner, lie about it, and take you out to a second dinner. I think the real issue is I'm dishonest and a little bit of a hamburglar. <laughs> oh my God, there's such a huge double standard in comedy talking about weight. A fat male comic can get on stage, assert himself, and say, Ha! I haven't seen my dick in a year! <laughs> Nobody feels bad for him. Everyone goes, Tee-hee-hee! Ooh, that's funny, cause he's fat! Ah-ha! 
But the minute I get on stage and assert myself and say, I haven't seen my pussy in a year, everybody feels bad. <laughs> everybody goes, oh no. Oh no. Well, I guess she's just been putting her hands in the folds. Oh no. I love that joke. I love it specifically for the imagery. Just imagine me at home being like, why aren't I coming? Where is it? I've been lucky, truly. I have not been called fat as an insult to my face on the internet, of course, by my family who hasn't, truly. <laughs> I think my grandfather calling me fat every Thanksgiving is what's keeping him alive. <laughs> that joke came from pain. <laughs> but truly, people have not called me fat as an insult like out in the wild, except for this one time I remember. I was walking down Hollywood Boulevard, made eyes with this homeless man. He went, hey, 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 you fat slut. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, I know he could see the fat, but how he know I was a slut? <laughs> How did he know I will fuck you without dinner first? And dinner's very important to me. How did he know? Is my stomach rumbling being like, feed me cookies, cakes, and cock? What was happening? Was my pussy out? I looked down, it was. I am here with the uh, comedian behind that joke, Nicole Byer. Thank you for being here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being here because you are in my hotel room. Ooh. <laughs> What a funny reaction. Ooh. Ooh. I want, obviously, I want to talk about this joke, but I want to start a little bit before it to uh, the wonderful world of improv comedy, because I realized when preparing for this interview, you were in the first improv show I ever saw. Really? <laughs> yeah, I was at uh, Del Close Marathon uh -huh. like seven or eight or nine years ago, and Doppelganger, I think, opened or was one of the first shows, mm -hmm. and that was the first time I ever saw improv. Wow. <laughs> I know. I, I just remember that right now. That um, is a real uh, intense way to see your first improv show. Yeah. That was it was for a story where I'm like, I'm gonna see improv by watching mm -hmm. 70 hours straight, and then I realized I'm just tired. This is not. How many hours did you get through? I think I did 20, and then I took a nap, and then I came back oh. and watched more. But it wasn't interesting. It was you couldn't think because you're just watching improv uh -huh. all the time. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, you know, there's a. You have a long story of how you got to start doing improv classes that involved credit card debt and a green card uh -huh. marriage that went sideways. But sort of beyond that, why did you start with improv instead of, you know, stand-up, which hypothetically doesn't cost money to start? Oh, my brain does not work in a way where <laughs> I ever understood that till right now. <laughs> that doing stand-up is completely free. It never occurred to me. Wow. Oh, no. Um, I think <laughs> Aside from not realizing that, I had done... I can't believe it. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry that I didn't tell you this Why didn't you tell ago. me sooner? Um, I had done improv in college, and my teacher was like, you're very funny at this. And uh, I didn't realize it was like a, a means of, like a ways to an end, if you will. Like that improv... You could do it without, you know, adding it to a scene to get, you know, more in character or whatever. So I guess I just had that stuck in my mind that I was like, improv, I have to do improv. So <laughs> that and I didn't really stand up was free. <laughs>
And then I believe he started partly doing stand-up because from doing Girl Cold, people were like willing to pay yes. you money to do stand-up. Yeah, and my manager was like, you saying no to these jobs is like leaving money on the table. People are putting money on a table and you're going, mm, I can't walk to it. And he's like, just crawl to it. Figure out how to... Um, he was like, take your characters, because I was doing sketch and stuff, and he was like, and then just watch some stand-up and figure out how people do setups, and then your punchline is the character, which is terrible advice. It's, and it, 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 It's a start. I think he's basically was like, how can I trick this person into yes. going on stage? Very much so. <laughs> and he tricked me, and then I guess I spent six, seven, maybe a, a full year doing terrible material. <laughs> But, like, people liked me from TV, and in the beginning, people will give you a pass. And yeah. then I, like, bombed at one show and was like, oh, shit, I got to, like, actually learn how to do stand-up. So then I started doing stand-up around L.A. and then trying to do at least, like, four shows a week. And then when I had come back to New York to tape Girl Code, I would do, like, two shows a night. And uh, I'm glad I had the wherewithal to be like, you, you're you bad. <laughs> You, you better get better. Yeah, because you're going to keep on being asked to do this. Yes. So you and might now well not I love it. Yeah. You know, though you still perform improv, I believe you still do um, yes. search history. But I, I yes. want to ask, what was sort of that, you know, improv is this like definitively team focused thing. And it's all about the group and blah, blah, blah. And then stand up is like this individualistic thing. How did that shift of your focus affect you? You know, why do you feel like you're ready for it? What did you like about being on stage as yourself? I love attention <laughs> and I love being on stage and stand up became a thing where I was like, Ooh, I get my attention. I get my stage time. I get my ha ha ha's. I get people looking at me and I don't need to like call up eight other people to like <laughs> come get on stage with me. So I think my attention, my attention to it shifted when I don't know. I don't, I don't remember like, a time period where I was like, this is what I'm doing now. Yeah. I just started doing more stand up than improv. Uh, and then I only really like improvising with like the same people. So, and then our show's 11 PM on Sundays. So sometimes I'm working on a Monday or I'm out of town doing stand up on the weekend. Yeah. And I can't make it. So yeah. Then now it's just like, this is the thing you do to hang out with your friends. Yes. It's not a thing you do to like get your meaning from. Life. Yes. <laughs> when did you realize you were, good at it you're saying you're bad at it for that amount of time what what was there a moment you're like oh i think i could actually not be struggling the entire time hmm very good question what a good query um i think i uh had like a couple shows in a row where i was doing the same act but then was like improvising within the mm -hmm. act and like coming up with different different tags and stuff and i was like oh i'm looser and i can figure this out a little bit easier rather than because like I used to try out jokes and it would be very clunky and I'd be like <laughs> so sorry <laughs> and like I'd apologize on stage and like I don't know I'm sorry but also sometimes I'm like I'm not good at this I don't yeah. know yeah and where eventually you're like oh I can keep on talking until I find something funny yes this. I was listening to an older set of yours and you'd open with this joke that you'd start in sort of I guess you'd call like like a Monique or a Del Gibbons like Queens of uh -huh. Comedy-esque yes. tone uh, and it's a really silly bit. You know, it's a type of joke that I think would work in a shorter set because it's just like punchy mm -hmm. and it gets people's attention. Ooh, yes, L -A -S! Ooh, yes! Come on, ladies, make some noise! Ooh, ladies, let me 
kidding. I don't sound like that. I sound like a basic white girl or a sassy gay man. <laughs> but ladies, I asked a very important question. Have you ever put a Snickers bar in your pussy and really let someone eat you out? No, good answer. Cause that Snickers bar would melt and you would have peanuts and nougat in your pussy. And pussies are not for carrying around snacks. It's for carrying around dicks and fists. Before we talk about sort of this opener from your Netflix special, specifically, what did you know you wanted from your openers? Like at this point mm-hmm. in doing stand-up, besides this joke, what did you want from this joke? I wanted to open with fat material because uh, when you see me, you'll go, oh, she's fat. <laughs> and I was like, why don't, why don't we talk about it? Like uh, men, you they talk about their dicks sometimes. Uh, women will talk about their puss pusses, and I, I was like, I'm a fat lady, and I'd like to talk about it. And I spent like a year trying to figure out how to tell fat jokes without people going, "Oh," or "No, you're not." It's <laughs> like, yes, I am. Uh, so I, do, I think I do like a solid 13 minutes of fat material, and I did that on purpose uh, because I'd never seen anyone do that amount of time yeah. on it. And I was like, maybe I'll do the whole special like that. My agent was like, please don't. <laughs> and he was like, please just show them you can do a lot of other things too. Yeah. And I was like, no. But then I figured it out and I was like, so the special for me, it's 30 minutes of fat jokes, being black, and then finding shit in a blanket. Because that's the wildest thing that's ever happened to me. And people need to know. They need to know. You're not just fat. You've also found shit in a blanket. <laughs> I'm a fat lady who found shit in a blanket. Also, don't use airplane blankets. They don't wash them. Yeah, people need to know that. They don't. They literally eyeball them. I was listening to you talk in an old interview about there was a time like maybe three years ago when you, as you were saying, you were like, I want to talk about this on stage, but it isn't mm-hmm. working. And you mentioned seeing a comedian, which I think was Deborah D. D. Giovanni. Yes. You said, I was like, I think it's, and, and you didn't want to do what she did, but mm-hmm. it was something in how she did it. What did you see in her? And what did you figure out was your version of it? Deborah talks about being fat in a way where sometimes audiences will start to feel bad for her, but then she tells them not to. So I was like, oh, okay, I need to figure out my version of please don't feel bad for me, which is an insane thing. Because when a comic goes, as a woman, no one ever goes, aww. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so weird that uh, fat has such a negative connotation. Uh, and I was, it's, I'm not like reclaiming the word or anything. I just have no problems if you call me fat because yeah. I am. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, watching her, I was like, I need to figure out my version of this because she does it so well. She's so funny. She's, She's one so of the funny. funniest people. Yeah, I was, I was thinking it's like when. Mike Rubiglia goes on stage and he's like, oh, I said, people are like, oh, you you don't sleepwalk. Don't say. it's like it's uh-huh. like this one specific thing of like where people are are so trained to like coddle you. And you're like, yes. I'm strong on stage. Yes. We have to, you have to like hammer it into people mm-hmm. around the 
I've also just from listening to old interviews around the t- same time, it seems you were talked about how one morning you woke up and you're like, I want to wear tank tops. Yeah. <laughs> how did that, how did stand up help you come to that realization? And how did that sort of realization mean for your stand up? The realization came before I started talking about being fat in stand up. Yeah. So I think it was 2016 or 2015. Me and my friend Marcy were going to Palm Springs and we were supposed to do, we were supposed to write. We didn't write anything. And I had bought a bikini like two years before that. And I was like, Marcy, I have three bikinis and that's all I'm going to bring. And I'm going to wear my bikinis because I don't fucking know nobody in Palm Springs. Who cares? (laughs) And she was like, okay, Nicole. And I was like, and I'm going to use the hashtag very fat, very brave because everyone thinks it's so brave to wear a bikini (laughs) when you're fat. And we had a great laugh about it. Drove to Palm Springs, wore a bikini, posted on Instagram. And then I was like, hey. That wasn't awful. <laughs> My body's not terrible. No one started to uncontrollably vomit when they yeah. saw me. Then I was like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna show my body. I don't care anymore. Why why was I covering up? And then I didn't have an answer. It wasn't for me. It wasn't for yeah. the world. I don't know who it was for. Um, so then after that, I was like, oh, I wanna talk about that experience because I feel like, and I mean I haven't really talked about the experience of covering up yeah. for who. Uh, but like, that's maybe the second beat of my fat jokes. <laughs> uh, but, uh, then I was just like, I want to talk about it. And I don't, yeah. So then I just, I started and it was like, a a whole thing where I would get on stage, say I'm fat. People would be like, stop it, girlfriend. You're beautiful. And then I would talk to other comics after about my frustrations. And I think I was talking to Dave Ross, maybe. I don't know who I was talking to, but I was like, male comics just get on stage and they're just like, ha, 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 I haven't seen my dick in forever. And everyone's like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and then if a lady's like, I haven't seen my pussy, everyone's like, oh, no. And he's like, that's your joke. He's like, yeah. that's it. And I was like, oh, okay. And it's one of my favorite jokes. So on a sort of on a basic level, how, like, how do you write? When you write, to say write a joke, mm-hmm. how do you write for a joke like this? You know, what do you go up with? How do you go up with it? What is sort of the basics of your process? For that joke in particular, I like came up with that little chunk, which is the beginning of it. And then I was like on stage and then I just improvised fisting my rolls. <laughs> but in, in general, that would you, you'll have a thing and then you'll improvise around it or you try to write things. Do you ever Sometimes. write things? So I'll write things down. I have a joke notebook where I write punchlines sometimes. I'll show you. So it's got a very terrible sticker on it. It's a lady's vagina with pills coming out. Mm-hmm. And my friend's child was like, Nini, do you have to be so terrible? And <laughs> that made me laugh. So I'm trying to think of the best. Sometimes I can write top to bottom a joke. But yeah, other yeah. Times... Looking at it, it's like there's a title and there's a full write-up. Yeah, but other times it's just like bullet points. Yeah. So that'll be – so this is like the premise – and then I will go on stage and try to improvise a punchline. And then other times I'll have punchlines and then I'll try to improvise a premise. <laughs> it's honestly really hard <laughs> the way I work. And I don't know why I do it. Like, I, I can't figure out a premise for this. It's I do Kegels because I'm hoping my pussy can get strong enough to trap a man. I don't know <laughs> where that fits anywhere. But that's <laughs> something I've written. <laughs> It's it's it is interesting because it's it's a joke notebook that's also sort of I feel like I've seen some comedian joke and it's like scratches and but uh-huh. yours seems pretty like well your handwriting is good. 
Well, I don't. I'm a messy person. That one just says fat. Underlined. Yeah, it just says fat. Oh, this is because when people are like, well, don't say she's fat. And I'm like, but why? Does she not know? <laughs> is she blind? So that's one. And then I was trying to write a joke about dating a former fat person because they're nicer. <laughs> because they're attractive and they have a personality because they had to get one. I don't know. Yeah, that's my little joke notebook. I, I heard you were saying that you lost it around. You lost a joke notebook about three years ago and had to rewrite all your jokes. I lost it on a Delta flight. Ooh, Delta was <laughs> not helpful. Not helpful. And then I was like, whoever found that probably thinks a sociopath owned that book because it was just like, fuck this. Like I don't. It was just like a lot of like wild things. And then if you, I don't know. So Delta didn't help me find it. And then. I had to listen to old sets and then rewrite everything because I would just, I forgot like my whole set. Cause it, I was also shooting loosely exactly Nicole. So I wasn't doing stand up as often and I hadn't done my hour in like maybe three or four months. So then I was about to do an hour and was like, I have no idea. I have no idea what any joke is. So then I just had to like go back and listen to things. It was, ugh, it was too much work. Did it, do you feel like your material got better from that process? No, <laughs> no. I, I really thought you were going to be like, yes, I've become. Much, no, no, because just... I would fast forward through some things and miss part of the joke and then be on stage and be like, I think there's like a whole chunk missing. Oh, it was a nightmare. So, but eventually you just sort of recreate it by yes. finding it again. That's yes. so funny that you, you, it did not help. In my head, that was like, oh, uh-uh. that was the breakthrough moment where no. you realized how to really. Right. No. <laughs> so, so you said you had the part at the end. Um, how did you sort of evolve to get to that part? Uh, where I'm fisting my little yes, because that happens at the end of about three minutes. So how do you what? How do you walk? You're like, well, I can't just start doing that. I can't say hello. Start fisting your rolls. <laughs> I mean, I could. Yeah, you could. Um, I guess the way I ordered it was because all those jokes came together in different like moments. Um, the fisting joke was probably the first fat joke that like started working and I was like ah perfect okay and then the fat beautiful one which is not an original thought like it's a lot of fat women get that they're like I'm fat people like no you're beautiful uh but then I was like well what is my take on it and then my take evolved to being fat and being beautiful is not mutually exclusive it's not either or there's a ton of ugly thin people (laughs) in the world and I tried to think of one that we could all just shit on. <laughs> Killian Conway. I mean, she is not an attractive woman. Also, I think she's really awful. Uh, and then after taping it, I thought of like a really great button, which is all she eats are lies. <laughs> uh, but like the joke is dead. So I, yeah. it's, I. Well, maybe if, if Kellyanne's in the news again, you can. You can bring it up. Mm, yeah. W- yeah. Were there other people that you tried before Kellyanne? Uh, no, because. She she's a, a thin woman who I think is not nice. You you've talked about you do some Trump material, but it is the only Trump adjacent joke in your special? Was that deliberate? Yes, because I thought other people would talk about Trump, and I'm saving it for when uh, he's reelected. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like Nicole, you're crazy. That's never gonna happen. I was like, you're the same people who said he would never get elected. So, like, who's going to beat him? Like, yeah. who? Who do we have? 
It is funny that people will say that after. Like, we're supposed to listen to political commentators when they were so wrong the first time. Everyone was so fucking wrong. What a wild ride. We still have two to six more years of him. Isn't that insane? Doesn't it feel like he's been president for 37 years? Well, the government will be shut down the entire time. Imagine. (laughs) That's really, it is very sad. (laughs) It's crazy. We're living in the wildest times. So a lot of the stuff was based on sort of personal experience of the, you would have, you would say things in audiences would be like, would they audibly gasp? We're like, oh no. Yes. Yes. Like, what did, what did even you say? now, I will be like, do not feel bad for me. And then I'll be like, I'm fat. And someone will just go, oh no. And I'm like, I told you. <laughs> Sometimes I argue with the audience. I'm like, I told you, don't. Yeah. Don't, aw, don't do it. If I felt so bad about being fat, I wouldn't be on stage in a crop top. Like I wouldn't. I wouldn't be doing it. At minimum, they should have they should have no reaction whatsoever. Like that's not. It shouldn't even. It should be like this is the this yes. is the setup. This is not the part Truly, you should respond to. Truly, it would to. be like I have hair, and people are like, no, <laughs> no, you're beautiful. <laughs> no, yeah. I have fingernails. No, you don't. You're beautiful. Yeah, it's very confusing. You, you said that in sort of in conversation, it came the idea of a male comedian's allowed to mm-hmm. say, I haven't seen my dick. And then you have your version of it. Did immediately you're like, oh, I know the escalation of this is to act it out? No. Um, because I remember being on stage and I was like, male comics do this. Uh, if a female comic does this, everyone feels bad. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. And then I was like, what comes next? And I was like, oh, I, I and like as the audience member, I guess she's just been putting it in her roles. And I was like, oh, that's funny. And then I was like, go do, like in my brain, I was like, do more. Um, It's been easier to do that. I'm on ADHD medication and it's been easier to like think while I'm performing because before I'd be like, I don't know. (laughs) You'll just be reacting to a thing. You're Uh like, wait, what was this? What? Oh, okay. I sometimes will get distracted if an audience member says something. I'm like, wait, what? Are we going to have a conversation now? That's so funny. Very bad. Uh, Yeah. And then I fisted my rolls and it went really well the first time I did it. And then the second time I did it, people did not like it. And I was like, ooh, uh uh-oh, I got to figure out what I did wrong? And then I did it like a third and fourth time. And like maybe the fifth time I found like the rhythm of it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what it it needed. It needed a pause before the (laughs) fisting of my rolls. I wonder what that is so interesting that you're like, something about when I start (laughs) sticking my fist into my side. Did you try different parts? Like it's. No, it's... It's very, like, I'm a little teapot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I was, like, if I do it anywhere else, it gets, like... You can't really do your back. You can't really see it. Then if you do it in the front, that's also... It felt... it's That's weird. Yeah. And then I do kind of like that I look like a little teapot. It's almost... I mean, the name of my special is uh, Aggressively Adorable, and I... I do like I think I'm just an adorable person. I got a big old round face. I'm just a big old baby. From there, you sort of go to a part where a homeless man calls you a fat slut, uh-huh. uh, and it, it almost felt like in improv terms, you're sort of telling people like the unusual thing here is not that I'm fat; it's mm-hmm. that it's that I also <laughs> I'm also <laughs> slutty. <laughs> is that part of it? Where you're like you want to shift that like this is not what the conversation the conversation is like. Fat is just the mm-hmm. life that you live, not what is funny about it. Yes. Well, when it happened, <laughs> I was literally walking down Hollywood Boulevard with my friend and he screamed it at me. And then I said to him, I was like, how do you know I'm a slut? And then he got angry with me. 
And he was like, cause you're, I don't remember what he said. It was something like, cause I know it. I know it. I know you take all the dicks or something wild. Uh, and then I didn't tell, I only started telling that joke maybe a year ago. Cause I hadn't thought about it in forever. Like it happened. And I was like wild. And then I was like, Oh, people, I guess haven't, they'll call me fat as an insult on the internet. My grandpa does it because he's got trauma, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then I was trying to think, cause I was never made fun of in school. So I was like racking my brain being like, when is the last time you were called fat as an insult? I was like, Oh my God, that fucking homeless guy. And then I do like, that sometimes the audience gets ahead of me, but most of the time they do not. They're just like, oh, wow, that sucks. A fat slut. <laughs> and then I'm like, don't care about the fat part. <laughs> How did you know it's a slut? And also neither part is bad to me. Yeah, yeah. And I just, you know, it's fun to just like spin it on its head. Yeah, because you can feel the audience being like, oh, she's mm-hmm. this. And they're like, this is not a joke about that. No, it's like it's- about this perceptive homeless person. Uh-huh. <laughs> this man knows. Hi. Well, what I think, I think I say, I'll suck your dick without dinner. And, and dinner is really important. Yes, yeah, so dinner is very important to me. So as a whole, you then sort of, go, the, in the special, you then go into the Lane Bryant story. And then you have sort of other stories that have to do with weight. But. What do you what do you think the joke in your experience? What does this section, this sort of intro to this, do to the audience? Um, I think it gets it gives you a just a clear picture of who I am. Uh, I'm a lady who does not. I'm not conventionally. Is that the word I want to use? Conventionally beautiful. Like I'm not the standard, like if someone was to show you a picture of like me and a very thin blonde woman, you'd be like, that blonde woman, she's the business, she's got it going on. But then I think I like to present myself as, I might not be the normal idea of beauty, but like what is beauty? Mm -hmm. Beauty is whatever you want it to be. So I think I... (laughs) I mean, a, a couple of reviews have said that I'm not a smart comedian, but I'm funny and silly and sell it hard. But I do think it is smart to say to an audience that, like, I am beautiful, even though you might not think of me as beautiful. Yes. You're um, not the cartoons this, draw beautiful yes. as a blonde woman. Yes. That looks like like Barbie is where it's like the our brains have an idea and like, oh, beautiful person is this mm-hmm. thing. And you're like, that is made up. It's a made-up bullshit thing that we've just been served our whole lives. And it's like, well, my mom made sure that we, like, played with black Barbies and white Barbies just so, like, <laughs> we could see ourselves in our dolls. So I I guess I hope that, like, a fat woman who, like, maybe wasn't having a good day watches my special and goes, no, I am beautiful. And I don't have to change my body unless I want to change my body. You know the comedian Jackie Cation? Yes, she has. I've seen her do a similar-ish thing, but much shorter. She just was like, "I'm fat. Consider that addressed." And then she just sort of moves <laughs> on. And in general, I feel like every comedian, especially when they're starting out, will address their appearance in some mm-hmm. way. Um, the one I always think of is Nick Kroll used to say, "I look like if Harry Potter had sex with Jeff Goldblum," <laughs> <laughs> but then he stopped wearing glasses so he can do the uh-huh. joke anymore. But it feels like. Like you, this bit someone acknowledges that like you just have to do it so much more before they accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like that is partly the case that you have to like pound into the audience? And also, especially as you're getting more notoriety and people are coming for you, do you feel like it's lessening at all? I think 
maybe like my agent or maybe even Netflix, their ideal would be like, talk about it for five minutes and move on. But it was like my own, yeah. my own desire to talk about it for the length of time that I talk about it. Because I have been a fat person for, I'm 32 or 33 now. I don't know anymore. I celebrated my 40th last year. <laughs> we made a banner. It was really dumb. Uh, but I've been fat for so long that I was like, oh, I want to talk about it. I want yeah. to talk about it at length. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could probably lay off it now. Uh, I'm not going to. Sure. Uh, and it's not like I'm like a fat crusader. <laughs> I just, I don't know. After being fat for more than, like for most of my life, it's shaped a lot of things yeah. in my life. And I, I think it's interesting to talk about. And people, like when they stop laughing is when I'll stop talking about yeah. it. We'll be back with more Nicole Byer after this word from our sponsor. From head writers of SNL Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider comes a new Comedy Central series, The Other Two, starring Drew Tarver, Helena York, Case Walker, and featuring Molly Shannon, Ken Marino, and Wanda Sykes. The show follows Carrie and Brooke Dubeck, two 20-somethings struggling to make in New York. As the two work toward finding themselves, their lives are completely upended when their 13-year-old brother, Chase Dreams, becomes a viral singing sensation overnight. The Other Two. Thursdays beginning January 24th at 10.30 after season premiere of Broad City on Comedy Central. We are back with Nicole Byer. So uh, you've talked about certain challenges finding specifically like nice clothing. How did you pick what you wore for your Netflix special? Wow. Thank you for asking. It was a real journey. <laughs> um, I ordered a bunch of stuff online that looks stupid. And I just kept ordering things. And then finally I went to this... Um, it's a plus size resale shop in Highland Park called the Plus Bus. And uh, <laughs> I walked in and I didn't think I was going to find anything, but that's where I found that purple skirt. And I think it was a longer skirt. I think someone cut it. And I was like, oh, it's like cut where I exactly, exactly how I want it. Yeah. And then I bought those floral boots a while ago and I'd never worn them. And I was like, well, I guess I'll wear them in my special. And then I found that crop top. And it didn't fit me right. It still doesn't. It's a pretty bad cut, but uh, I liked the look of it. Yeah. Uh, so that's how that came together. And then I wore my favorite wig. It's a nice wig. Thank you. So as you co-host a Drag Race podcast with Vulture, thank yeah, you Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, would you talk about how you've been watching drag for years and you follow the show and the culture. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think you were influenced by drag? If so... In what specific ways? Oh, I feel like I'm heavily influenced by drag and by like Dolly Parton and Tina Turner and just uh, women and men who uh, take femininity and kind of mush it all together and, and pull it apart and it's uh, weird and interesting. So like you're seeing me, I look very bad because I truly woke up maybe 20 minutes before you got here. Uh, but usually I, I'm wearing fake lashes, uh, a wig. I'm wearing one now. Uh, I always have a wig on. Uh, I contour my face so I look like a different person. Uh, I usually have nails. I, I just, I like hyper feminism in a way uh, because I like presenting myself that way and I like being not as feminine because I'm not a super yeah. feminine person. But I like presenting it that way. You like the contrast that that yes. presents, which is a very drag concept. It like yes. in so much that most drag queens are men who are presenting hyper. Yeah, they're men <laughs> presenting hyper femininity, and then they open their mouths and like Miss Vanjie is the perfect example of like what I'm aspiring to be. 
she's beautiful. And then she opens her mouth <laughs> and she's talking about them cookies. And it's just such a jarring juxtaposition that I love. I love that. Uh, so yes, I'm heavily influenced by drag queens. When I lived in New York, I would go to drag shows all the time. I used to go to Barracuda, uh, and I, ugh, I just, I love it. I, I love drag queens. They make the world go round. Mm -hmm. It is weird that like DragCon is during the day and children are there, and I'm like, drag queens say the most offensive things sometimes. Uh, but okay. Well, I think that's interesting because I feel like that is actually like a nice metaphor for where your career is currently <laughs> at. Kind of. Kids love me and I fucking hate them. <laughs> because Ugh. you it, you, you really fell into a Saget-esque career just, just position where your act is what it is and uh -huh. then nailed it as a show for children. Yeah. And sometimes at shows, I will start it with who here has seen Nailed It, who here has seen Girl Code. And then if it's more claps for Nailed It, I go, this is a girl code leaning show. Uh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to talk a, a bunch about nasty things. Uh, and then I'm like, so sometimes I'll apologize. And sometimes I'll be like, mm, I'm not sorry, but like, mm, you're going to be mad at me after this. I think another thing with the, the drag queen thing that I saw was like, there's like no self-deprecation in your act, at least mm -hmm. that I've seen. Was that a thing that you noticed? Is that thing like really at least I can think of? There's nothing where you're like I'm sad or there's I'm bad. This is anything that to you don't like hate yourself first so someone else. There's sort of nothing is negative about your presentation. No, because there's nothing negative about me. Mm, yeah. I don't understand the question. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I don't. I guess I'm not self-deprecating. Yeah. Because. I like me. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of like a self-deprecating joke, just as an example of self-deprecation. I don't, but I'm I'm pretty sure I don't do it. No, because uh, I even think, think of it. I can't. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I'm bad and stupid. No, I don't. I yeah. <laughs> I think it's my style is more um, like observations. I usually think I'm right in mm -hmm. <laughs> things, so it's like my observations about how other people are dumb. Um, and then stories. I tell a lot of stories yeah. in my act. Uh, so there's no room for self-deprecation. What I think is really interesting about this joke is it's not really about you being fat. It's about how the audience reacts to you mm -hmm. being fat. Uh, you said you wanted to talk about, you want to talk about how the audience as non-fat people take in your body. Yes. Why? Because I think it's really interesting. Yeah. I think it's really interesting um, that like when you see a fat person, usually, or we are taught to be like, that person has no self-control. Yeah. That person is bad at life. Oh, I just like wanna help them. As opposed to like, this person is on stage making money and thriving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like she doesn't need your help. She doesn't need you to feel bad for her. She's doing just fine. And I don't, and I think people, it's the same thing when, um, you talk to people about racism where they're like, I'm not racist. And it's like, well, there's implicit bias. And that's something we can talk about. Yeah. Everybody has implicit bias. Um, and just like institutionalized things that you've been taught over and over and over again that you've internalized that you don't understand. And I'm not like, you know, trying to tell people like, guys, we all have to change the way we think about <laughs> fat people. I just think it's an interesting thing for you to sit for five minutes and go, oh my God. Yeah. When she said she was fat, I really want to tell her she wasn't. And she truly is. <laughs> well, it's also like you've lived your life seeing how people react yes. to you. And they don't, and they don't know. And you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're loud. You're essentially, this is 
so cliche, but sorry, but you're literally holding a mirror up to like, I said it's fat. This is what <laughs> uh, you This is said what to me. you're saying to me. And I've been on, not the opposite end. I've never been a thin person, but I have been thinner. Mm-hmm. And I've seen me get treated better as a thinner person where I'm like, good Lord, everything's all sorts of fucked up. Conversely, uh, what do you want? You mentioned a little bit, what do you want bigger people to get from your comedy? Like, I feel like you have complicated feelings about being inspirational. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It feels, at first I very much rejected the notion. I was like, I'm not inspirational and I'm, I'm just here saying things. But then I remember that like, not everyone can get up on stage. Not everybody has that desire, yearning, cold emptiness in their heart that only gets filled by strangers laughing at them. Uh, So, and then I've gotten like, so I have an email address that I just give out on podcasts. If you like really need to tell me something and it's longer than like a DM or whatever. And I've gotten a lot of messages where people are like, I was depressed about my weight, but you made me feel better about it. Or like, you're just really silly. And I appreciate that because I feel like bigger women are told to be quieter, which is very funny. Cause it's like, you're just still going to see them, you know, yeah. like no matter how quiet you are, you're probably going to knock something over as you move around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, getting those messages it doesn't make me feel like I'm inspiring people but it just lets me know that like I should keep doing what I'm doing because it's making people happy and that is the goal yeah and ultimately you're like oh good the thing that I'm doing is inspiring people I don't have to change (laughs) and be more inspiring to people You've talked about with especially with loosely exactly Nicole that it was important to sexualize yourself because yes why can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, because I feel like black fat women are sexualized in movies as secondary characters or as like a joke. Yeah. Like, oh my God, can you imagine that fat black woman fucking anything? And it's like, you see a lot of fat black ladies with kids. How do you think those kids got here? You know? <laughs> um, and then we don't address my weight on the show. Yeah. I don't think we've ever, there's no line of dialogue that says anything about how I'm sad about being fat or like, Like, a lot of shows, when a fat woman gets a boyfriend or has a romance, she cannot believe it. Yeah. What? Me? (laughs) But, like, have you seen me? And it's like, yeah, he wouldn't be trying to fuck you if he didn't like you. Also, it's scripted. (laughs) So, like, anyone can love anyone. I could fuck a dragon if I wanted to, you know? You just have to write it down and it happens. Uh, and then I've never had a discussion with my weight with partners. Yeah. So I, I was like, that's my reality. It could be her reality too. Um, and I do, I think fat women need to see themselves being sexual because it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Yeah. I truly, I can't think of very many things where a fat woman just gets to have like normal sex. Yeah. We're just like, oh, I want to have sex with this person. And like. It's not that I want to have sex because I never have sex. I never have sex. I just pulled a vibrator out of my roll. <laughs> I'm so sad. Uh, sorry. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Nailed It. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, uh, what has working on it meant in that there's a show that it, I believe they just asked you if you wanted to do it. You'd have to audition. And it's this... Uh, it's silly and it's a funny thing to do, but you've also talked about how like um, when you're cast things, no one's ever wants to see you like eating on screen or whatever. <laughs> yes. What does it mean for this as a thing like, oh yes, we want Nicole for this specific show, no matter how wild it is. 
It was presented. Okay, so the way it was presented. So Magical Elves is the production company. They they used to do Top Model. No, Top, top chef. chef. They do. Oh yeah, they do the food stuff. So there was like Top Chef and a bunch of other shit. So like I went to a meeting with uh, Jane and Dan, the heads of the company. They're really sweet, and they had essentially just like um. Uh, uh, like a concept board or whatever. And they were like, this is, which essentially was just like Pinterest fails. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. But like, what, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and they're like, oh, you'll just like critique the stuff people make. You'll keep the show going. And we need you to ride being mean, but not too mean, but also calling out what you see, but like not really. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, this this is a little, this might be hard. But then we started shooting it and I was like, oh, it's not hard because I like, I like ugly things. Like I genuinely love something so ugly that it like kind of becomes beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then everyone really makes magical things. Like the Trump cakes were one of my favorite things to ever look at. Oh, they are just so funny. And then the contestants were just really sweet and funny. Uh, but it was very cool that I didn't have to audition. Yeah. Auditioning to be a host of anything sucks. You're just in a room being like, welcome. <laughs> You're like, welcome to what? We're just in a fucking room. Um, it's been a really fun, wild experience. We shoot for 10 hours for one episode. Really? Straight? Yeah. Oh, so they just... Do all that, and you're just sitting there while they're baking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I understand why they do it, but like. <laughs> so speaking of auditions, uh, a few years ago you did a sketch, I believe called "Be Black Earth." That's, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where you're auditioning for a uh, casting director who's essentially just asking you to ramp up your blackness, mm -hmm. which you've said is based on experience, namely uh, the CBS Diversity Showcase, which. Vulture recently did a story about how it's like famously mm -hmm. the most racist, sexist diversity showcase. LaShuana, did you get those clams I asked for? Ooh, child, I got them clams. I got everything on that list you gave okay, me. Okay, great. I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I have an adjustment, if that's okay. How can I say this? Um, I need you to be more urban. <laughs> uh, what? This role calls for like a really urban, ethnic black person. Can you be that for me? Sure, yes I can. That's great, we're still rolling. Lashwanda, did you get those clams I asked for? Ooh, child, I got them clams. I got everything on that list, you gang me. Good, Lashwanda. You know, parties aren't complete without clams. Okay, let's stop right there. Hey, Nicole. What it comes down to, it, it seems like people are not looking for you. There's like, oh, we want a person that looks like whatever mm -hmm. they think you look like. Do you feel any of that shifting now that you have these things that are like, your stamp on it? You have this stand-up special, you have this podcast. Loosely, exactly. Nicole nailed it. You get to be yourself. Does it feel like things are shifting? Was it feel like that wasn't mean for people to be looking for mm -hmm. Nicole Byer specifically? Um, it shifted, I would say, maybe like three years ago where I got to go on auditions for um, like leads that were definitely supposed to be white people. Uh, and it was nice when I would read material and go, okay, well, because before I'd be like, oh, let me try to make it black, I guess, because they're going to ask for it anyway. Yeah. Um, but then like three years ago, it got to a point where my agent or my manager was like, oh, you don't do what you think they want you to do. Do you? Because now people know you and they think you're funny. So just like bring you and what you think the part needs. And I was like, ah, ah, acting. OK, all right, I'll do it. Um but I wrote that sketch because I 
I wrote it for the CBS Diversity Showcase. It didn't get in, so then we filmed it. But I wrote it because of an audition that I went on for Nestle. So it's on the internet. You can Google it or YouTube it. I play a fairy for Israeli Nestle. Ooh, aren't you just a tough little cookie? Mama's got something a little special for you. Mm-hmm. How about that? You want more? How about that, son? How about that? At the audition, it was like, nah, you don't get no ice cream. <laughs> and then she was like, okay, Nicole, I need you to be blacker. I want you to be as black as possible. And if you go too black, I'll bring you back. And I was like, what does that mean to you? If I yeah. go to, you're going to bring me back. And uh, I talk about it on stage, but uh, so I won't give away the joke. Uh, but it was just so wild to me that this woman just came out and said it yeah. because a lot of times it'll be coded. It'll be like, can you be more street? Can you be more urban? Can you be more sassy? Uh, can you, uh, can you give me a neck roll on that line? And you're like, okay, sure. Uh, and now I don't have to do that. And that's nice because there are different black people in the world. Like we're all not sitting here neck rolling. Some are, but some aren't. Yeah. And not to discredit the people who do, but that's one type of black person. And then there's thousands. White people get to be whatever they want to be. You know, you got Ryan Gosling, you got Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> where's Weird Black Yankovic? Like, where, like, where's, there should be room for every race to be as funky as, and as weird <laughs> as they want. But it's just like so wild to me that, like, there's, I don't know, like, like where do black actors go? Like some of them pop off and then they just like fade away. Yeah. And I'm like, but white people get to stick around forever. <laughs> uh, there's like I age hate pockets people. for yeah. anything other than straight white men. There's a- actor age pockets where they can't play certain things. Yeah. Like white actresses between 35 and like 41. They're like, you're not a mom enough yet. So you have to just oh, wait it out. But they'll let some of them do. Well, some, it's yeah. kind of wild. Um, what do you want? <laughs> a boyfriend. Uh, what do I want? I mean, I would like to continue creating. I would like uh, another television series. I do enjoy doing television. Um, I would like to do movies. I'm writing one with a friend right now. And, you know, I hope it gets made. I think it's pretty funny. Um I guess I I want to continue doing my podcast. I don't know. I want to keep working. Like one of my goals for 2019, I literally wrote, I was like, work more. And I know a lot of people are like, work less. And I'm like, no, I want to work more. I want to, I like working so hard that I have to sleep for a day because I'm exhausted. I like being exhausted. I love working. I love being busy. I love creating. Um, I, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I want, I just want, I want everything. I want everything that I fucking want. (laughs) <laughs> what That's, that was terrifying that sound uh means it's time for our final segment it's uh called the laughing round it's like a lightning round but because it's comedy it's the laughing round okay so that was that sound that was terrifying yeah, it's a terrible and both sound. of you knew what was happening and i didn't that's that's how it comes it's a surprise <laughs> no one likes it i promise you no one likes it yeah people are People get very mad at the sound. Oh, okay. But I think it's uh, funny that I keep on doing it. Um, I love doing things that people hate. Yeah, yeah. 
So imagine every episode I know people don't like it a little bit. <laughs> I keep on doing it. All right. So these will be uh, faster questions. Uh, do you have like a joke joke that you like? Like a street joke? Um, good Lord. Uh, the, uh, no. Okay. Yes. Mm, I can't think of it. I mean, Nimish Patel got in trouble for telling uh, a joke about like, why would you be black and gay? It's not like you would wake up and be like, I want my life to be doubly hard. It's kind of a street joke. Yeah, to me, that is a street joke. That's why I was surprised like, I've again. Heard it, yeah. I've heard it. Yeah. Uh, and it was wild too that he got in trouble for it. Yeah. Because it's true. It's abs- like, w- what are you mad about? <laughs> like, uh, So I think that's, I think it's a good joke. If you could steal another comedian's joke in a way in which it was always your joke so like mm-hmm. no one will ever know you won't get in trouble it's another dimension where you are you exact same life but you get this person's joke what joke do you think it'd be honestly any john mulaney joke <laughs> john mulaney is so fucking smart and funny he's like a machine uh trevor noah has a bit about how obama got his voice by meeting um uh, Nelson Mandela, and it's a gr- it is such a good bit, and the way he sets it up, you kind of know the end of the joke, but like you're still along yeah. for the ride, and it's just great. The sound, it's just sort of like it's like watching a singer who's really good at singing. He's like mm-hmm. his the vocal yes. exercise is just like this. Is, you're watching a person uh-huh. train. It is, it is oh, a- and also Kathleen Madigan, her fuck, what is her special called? Um. I don't remember, but every joke is a closer. <laughs> every joke is a closer. I was watching it, and she would tell a joke, and I would go, how? How? <laughs> how is this your closer? You're only 15 minutes in, and then it'd be more. She's so fucking funny. Do you have any impressions that you do that no one, you never have any opportunities to use? Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> my favorite impression to do is, uh, well, let's see, I do Cookie Monster, and then uh, Emma Stone. That's one that is never useful. Can you do it? Yeah. Hold on. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay. So it's me, Emma. Emma Stone. You probably know me from movies such as La La Land or like Superbad. Ha <laughs> ha. That one was really good. That one was with Jonah Hill. <laughs> yeah. No one's ever asked me to. That's why I asked you. <laughs> to be Black Emma Stone. <laughs> Um, can you do an impression of yourself? Um, oh no, I'm Nicole and I like to scream. <laughs> What's your favorite type of cake? My favorite type of cake is a pound cake, like a traditional pound cake, a pound of everything. Uh, do you have a, a re- from the show, a reaction to a cake that got cut out because it's nailed it and you can't curse or say dirty thing? Well, this woman put pop rocks in her cake and I was like, that looks like jizz. <laughs> and then I was like... <laughs> Camera operator. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was Rob. I was like, Rob, you got to get an answer to that. That looks like jizz. <laughs> and they were like, Nicole, we got to do that all over again. I was like, all right, that looks like cum. Uh, I'm awful. But also we're there for 10 hours. We got to giggle. Do you have a joke that you think is so funny? You told over and over again, no one ever laughs, but you'll go to your grave being like, this is funny, regardless of what the audience thinks. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I've figured out how to get people to laugh at it, but it, it's, oh boy, it's a pedophile joke. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I love it dearly. <laughs> and it started, I like said it on my friend's podcast, the Doughboys, And I said this 
I was like, why do people fuck kids? Kids can't make you come. And then I was like, ooh, I love that. That's fun. And then, <laughs> so then I wrote a joke about how a child cannot make you come, specifically because they're dumb and you have to teach them everything. And then that takes up time. And if you get your hands on a hot little kid, you have limited time. <laughs> and so I was, I wrote the joke out. I was with my best friend in Costa Rica. We we're like in the water having a time of our lives. And she goes, I think you should tell that joke. I think like for this new year, this is last new year. She's like, I think this new year, like you tell that joke. It's so good. And I was like, great. So then I went to a hot tub, uh, Kristen Shaw and Kurt Braunholder show in LA. And I was going to close with it because I was like, ah, oh, man, this joke is fucking killer. And then I started it which is, I've been thinking about pedophiles and why would you fuck a kid? A kid can't make you come. And this woman literally went, stop it. <laughs> and I was like, um, well, uh, and that's never happened before where someone has audibly been like, this needs to end. <laughs> and then I like kept going and then freaked out. and was like, my best friend told me to tell this joke. And I said her full name and <laughs> like really just threw her under the bus. And then Kristen Shaw was working with her and was like, you told her to tell that joke. It was not a good joke. But then I wrote more. It is now a five-minute joke. Mm -hmm. And then I was in my brain. I was like, this, I, it's so funny. <laughs> and then um, I did Women Crush Wednesday, which is uh, my friend Marcella's show. And I was like, okay, girl. So last week I was here. I forgot to try out this joke about kid fucking. Uh, can I come back and just tell that joke? And she was like, sure. I would love to see this bomb because she's wonderful and I love her. Uh, so then I did it and it crushed so hard because now I present it as, do you want to hear a joke? Nobody likes a woman told me to stop once. And then you're like, all right, well, let's see if I get the joke. Oh, I'm cool. Cause I get it. Yeah. So I go to my grave saying that, that it is a perfect joke and I shouldn't have to say that nobody likes it. The end. That's it. That's it. Okay. That's it for another episode of good one. Watch Nicole's half-hour special on Netflix as part of the Comedians of the World series. Watch Nailed It on Netflix as well. Watch her series Loosely Exactly Nicole on Facebook. Listen to her podcast, Why Won't You Date Me? and What the Talk, wherever you listen. Follow Nicole on Twitter, at Nicole Byer. Good One is produced by Mike Conte. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast... What the heck? Maybe tell them. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. We'll be back next week with a new episode and a new joke. Have a good one. That was a HeadGum Podcast.